Hey everyone, thanks so much for listening to today's podcast. Although I guess this is at the beginning of the podcast, so you haven't listened to it yet. Theoretically, you're going to listen to it uh, if you've made it this far. So thank you in advance. We had a great chat with Ben Witte from Recess. Uh, there were a few sort of audio glitches, peaks and pops uh, in the microphone in the interview. So just, you know, just wanted to make note of it. Not a big deal. You might not even notice. Um, please rate and review the podcast. Uh, I don't want to be as dramatic as to say it's the lifeblood of the podcast, but apparently it's very important uh, to get ratings and reviews. Uh, many of you have given me great reviews, which has been lovely. Uh, I'm just asking the rest of you to do so. So got my eyes on you. Ratings now. Just go do it. I wanted consumers' first interaction with our brand to be our website or Instagram because that's what kind of conveys the emotion and the mission uh, of the brand and like the, I think conveys the feeling that we're really offering uh, to consumers. Welcome everybody to the Making the Brand podcast. My name is Billy Draper. I work in early stage venture capital. And on this show, we're gonna be talking about brands. We'll talk to founders and leaders of growing consumer companies that are finding ways to stand out, differentiate, and delight their customers. On today's show, we have Ben Witte, founder and CEO of Recess. He teaches us about managing growth right out of the gates and reframing the CBD narrative. So today on the podcast, we have a very special guest. We have Ben Witte, uh, the founder and CEO of Recess. Ben, thank you so much for coming on. Thank you. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. Um, so to start out, what is Recess? Um, so you might know us uh, for our first product, which is a line of flavored sparkling water infused with CBD and adaptogenic herbs, um, which are designed to help people feel kind of calm and balanced, but I think of us more broadly as a, a consumer wellness brand. Uh, we create products like our drink, uh, as well as experiences, uh, you know, like to date our Instagram and uh, our recess IRL kind of offline events uh, designed to help people feel balanced, centered and inspired so they can be their most productive and creative self despite an increasingly stressful world. And how did you get into the the sort of beverage world um it's interesting i never even when i kind of came up the idea it never even crossed my mind uh to look at you know the consumer packaged good space or, or beverages i i literally didn't even know a single person that worked in the industry uh i spent the first seven years of my career in san francisco working for two different early stage technology startups, both in the marketing technology space, but I've always kind of viewed myself as more of a, you know, a creative and, you know, a designer um, and knew, also recognized that I think I was better suited to be an entrepreneur. Um, and so uh, about three years ago, I quit my job uh, and set out on my own and started kind of exploring a couple different ideas. Uh, I spent a year uh, actually pursuing a different concept or exploring a different concept, which is a hotel concept, um, show house, I mean, it's a high-end hostel targeted at like the WeWork crowd, but ultimately concluded it was too capital intensive and 
Uh, I didn't want to be in the real estate development business uh, for my for my first startup. And then about two years ago, I saw kind of CBD bubbling up on the periphery. Um, and I was attracted to it because I've always been a, a naturally kind of stressed out, anxious, wired, hyper, you know, millennial, so to speak. Um, and when I started using CBD oil regularly, uh, I felt much more balanced and even keeled. And as a result, I felt more productive, more creative and less stressed out and anxious. And I just had a number of insights from that experience. Uh, the first of which is, you know, I'm not the only one that feels this way. I think stress and anxiety are one of the, the biggest issues of the 21st century. And it's only over the past kind of couple years that people, you know, acknowledge it and feel, I think, vulnerable about it. And as a result are seeking out solutions. Uh, and I think I describe it as like an anxiety economy is forming. So there's things we consume in our body like CBD and marijuana and, you know, Xanax and nootropics and adaptogens. These are all, you know, different compounds we're effectively utilizing to optimize our mentality, uh, as well as kind of lifestyle choices uh, like mindfulness, you know, meditation, yoga, Marie Kondo, time well spent. I think those are all indicators that there's, you know, a new um, kind of category forming of various products and services. Um, and so I saw this kind of, you know, that this uh, a new market forming. Um, and then the second insight was that CBD, the compound was effective for me, but the user experience of using CBD oil is not a great one. I don't think it's going to be very mainstream in the future for people to put oil that tastes like grass under their tongue uh, multiple times a day. Uh, but the way to think about CBD is as a compound, frankly, no more interesting than caffeine or whey protein, just a commoditized functional ingredient that's going to be added to many things. Um, and the opportunity would be to create the right application and formulation. So, you know, in iced tea versus a flavored sparkling water versus a dissolvable tablet, you know, you name it, we can do it. Um, but most importantly, like building the brand on top of it, right? And I think the closest analogy to this category and, you know, what we're building is, you know, energy drinks and Red Bull, you know, Red Bull and Monster and uh, don't compete on marketing caffeine and taurine. Uh, it's Red Bull gives you wings, right? And I think the same thing will be true here ultimately, where, you know, CBD is merely, you know, uh, an enabling ingredient for a big idea, which we describe as like taking a recess, um, you know, the third insight was around, I, you know, was, was around, you know, how to succeed in beverage in particular. And again, given that it never even occurred to me to look at the space and I didn't know a single person that worked in the industry, I started to think about it and I was like, wait a second, you know, this is like the most brand driven category on the entire planet, uh, due to the, you know, high frequency of use and purchase, as well as the massive distribution you get, which is like a form of marketing in itself. Um, but no one's actually good at marketing anymore. Um, like Red Bull was a great brand. Coca-Cola was a great brand. Gatorade was a great brand. But I would argue that the most recent successful beverage brands have succeeded despite not being, you know, great at marketing and definitely not marketing like modern day, you know, lifestyle direct to consumer brands like the Glossiers, you know, the Everlanes, the Aways, you know, the Caspers of the world. Um, and that I thought I saw a new opportunity to, to a, a new way to build a, a beverage brand in you know the 21st century, basically. And then the fourth was around you know the regulatory environment around CBD. Um, so at the time, CBD was a controlled substance. The way to think about it is like the law effectively viewed hemp and marijuana as the same thing, when in reality they're cousins within the cannabis family. 
with one critical difference. Hemp doesn't have THC. Um, so what happened was Mitch McConnell introduced a piece of legislation called the Hemp Farming Act, uh, which basically separated hemp from marijuana and removed CBD from the controlled substance list, shifting the regulation from the DEA to the FDA. Um, and ultimately, it's, you know, it's on a path to becoming a permissible food ingredient. Um, and so when I, you know, when I, and so I basically made a bet, I was like, it's a controlled substance right now, but if this becomes, you know, an approved food additive, like caffeine or whey protein, it's going to be gigantic. And like, you know, think about how much economic value is built on top of caffeine, right? You have coffee shops and, you know, ready to drink coffee and energy drinks, right? All focused on stimulation. And I really believe that CBD is the caffeine of the 21st century uh, in many ways. So uh, I looked at four, all four of those kind of components. I was like, this is a very interesting opportunity and I'm going to go build a beverage brand, I guess. And what was your first step in that direction? Did you start calling friends who work in food and bev? Did you f start calling co-packers? How, how did you physically get started? I actually, we actually started working on the brand even before I started working on the drink. Um, because I, you know, I recognized one, that's what I knew better. And so I knew more people. Um, and so I actually called, um, my friend Emmett who ran gin lane and, uh, we started working with them on flushing out the concept and our brand positioning. I, we had a pretty good sense of what we wanted to do. Um, and, and then I, you know, worked with a couple different formulators, uh, and it took me about a year to, for a, or a little over a year, year, you know, a year and a quarter to, to from like idea to, to launch. Um, I originally hired like a, 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 a really large beverage formulation company um, that ultimately I decided was not the right fit for me. I'm more of a guy that likes to like kind of be in the lab myself. I ultimately found a, 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 a guy who's become you know, a crucial partner in the business um, up in the Hudson Valley in New York. And, you know, we started, we, basically spent six months formulating recess, took the train up every weekend. Um, and you know, the kind of brand and the product came out the other side of that kind of, you know, year, year long journey. And then, then once you had the pro had you already started selling the product before you had your first order ready to, no. to retailers or to anywhere? Yeah. So, um, what happened was, um, uh, the way I thought about the launch is I, I purposely did a direct to, you know, an online only direct to consumer launch um, for a couple reasons. The first is that I wanted consumers first interaction with our brand to be our website or Instagram, because that's what kind of conveys the emotion and the mission uh, of the brand. And like the I think conveys the feeling that we're really offering uh, to consumers. And the second was that I wanted to create the buzz and the leverage online in order to go offline. If you think about these retailers and distributors, they're getting pitched by hundreds of brands every day. Right. It's like how to separate this, you know, the signal from the noise there. And so my whole framework is like, I believe like in the past brands were built on the shelf, today they're built on your phone and that changes everything. And so we did a launch where we basically our entire marketing strategy for this year was one Instagram post a day, which is we can talk about, um, and then PR, um, and, you know, I think we had a very strong narrative that lent itself well to PR, you know, everyone else was saying, you know, just merely like CBD reduces anxiety. I'm like, you know, that's not that interesting. There's no story there. You know, our, I think recess has a very strong narrative. Like, you know, we say like recess is an antidote to modern times. It helps you feel calm, cool, collected, right. It's, um, and our brand voice is, you know, very, 
tongue in cheek. It's more of like a social commentary on living in 2019. Um, and so I thought it lent itself very well uh, to both content marketing uh, as well as PR. And that strategy just ended up working much better than we expected. I mean, when I launched, it was me in my apartment, a uh, small, tiny one bedroom apartment in the East Village and my COO, Simon, who lived in Boise, Idaho. Um, and we did ended up doing 40 times our first month's projected sales. We had 5,000 back orders after a month. And we just had like an insane amount of, you know, it was just very clearly resonating with consumers as well as retailers and distributors. And so we were kind of off to the races. Did you, you said 40 X? Yep. How did, did you, were you able to fulfill the orders? No, uh, we had, <laughs> so, uh, yeah, it was a complete, uh, you know, it was a shit show at the beginning. And, um, yeah, so we had 5,000 back orders that we had to catch up with after the first month. And so the first few months was just like, just merely trying to keep up, but also recognizing that we clearly had something and that we had to, you know, really what this was about is, you know, um, because the regulatory environment is still somewhat unclear, um, like for example, the major national retailers, the Whole Foods, CVS, you know, Walmart's targets of the world have not yet, uh, started carrying these products, even right. though they, they will very soon. And so the business plan for the past year has really been in some ways to slow down to speed up. Um, you know, we launched our first two markets in New York and LA and we're probably carried in about you know, four or 5,000 retailers nationwide already. Um, but really it's been focused on building an organization and a supply, sh a supply chain that's ready to, to scale, you know, nationally and rapidly once the FDA clarifies the regulations. So, you know, over the past year we've scaled the team from, you know, two people to almost 30 people full time. Um, you know, we've really you know, invested in the supply chain and, uh, are making a bunch of investments now that, uh, I think are, you're, you know, you'll see more of uh, next year. Are you able to scale with your co-packer in the Hudson Valley? Um, yes. I mean, we've added additional co-packers um, and, uh, you know, we'll, we'll ultimately have a network of bottlers and co-packers. So back to the branding, it sounds like that was a big part of your sort of ince uh, the inception of the idea was a lot around brand, how does it make people feel? What is it going to be called? You know, and, and going through it with, with Emmett from Gin Lane. Um, what, what were those conversations like? Was it, it seems like you have a very minimal aesthetic. It's very brightly colored and, uh, almost tie dye, but it's, uh, very simple and minimal and memorable. What were those conversations like when you started thinking about, Hey, we're going to call it recess. Then what? <laughs> Um, so actually we didn't have the name recess. Um, but I will say I had a, we had a very clear idea of the brand positioning. Um, and I had a very clear idea of like the world, uh, I, the recess world I wanted to create and like the, the, you know, the, the visual identity and the brand voice. Um, so, you know, a couple examples, like one thing, like we've never used the word relax in any of our marketing. Uh, because I don't think people aspire to relax. Like if you tell someone to relax, that's kind of an insult. Uh, instead, we focus on the idea of feeling like balanced and centered and calm. Um, and so, you know, I think, and I view, I think, I thought there was, at the time, there was a lot of uh, CBD had been mis kind of classified. A lot of people would say like, I either don't feel it or I use it before bed. And if people that say they don't feel it, they like, I think subconsciously they're comparing it to like, smoking a joint or like having a drink. Um, and I viewed CBD as like a productivity enhancer or something I used 
throughout my day. And so I wanted to kind of cr- focus on establishing a new consumption occasion in people's lives of like, you know, just like one of our lines is like, it's how you wish the two o'clock coffee made you feel right. Um, and so I think we had, I had a pretty good idea of the brand positioning and I think Jin Lane just helped refine that, uh, a lot. And then, um, we didn't have the, you know, we did a naming exercise as a part of the, the work together. Um, and it was one of those things they put, you know, 20 names on the board recess was, you know, one of them was just like, so obviously an amazing name that per, you know, perfectly articulated what it's about, um, in terms of it's like taking it, like, just like school recess was like taking that break out of your day. So you can, you know, reset, so to speak, and be more productive on the other side. That's what really the mission of recess is at this point. Um, and so I would like to say is like the big idea of recess is the idea of recess itself. Um, as you know, CBD is not the big idea here. Uh, it's just like an enabling ingredient to help us establish the bigger idea. It's a great name. So I'm, I'm not surprised you picked it early in the exercise. It's, it's perfect for what you're building. The, um, and so when did you, or, or how have you funded the business so far? Had you already had some outside financing before you engaged with Jin Lane or did you raise it, use that as sort of the marketing push to go raise the money? Yeah. So we haven't talked that much about, um, our fundraising strategy, but you know, what I'll say is that when I started, when we came up with the idea, I was actually incubated the, 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 the company, uh, within a firm called life capital where I was a partner with uh, two friends, Justin Hauser and David Hess. And that's like kind of a brand studio model. And the idea was to do a bunch of different businesses all under kind of one holding company. Um, and so that's how, you know, did the initial kind of funding. Um, and then we ended up spinning the company out because I just wanted to focus exclusively on that and not multiple businesses. Um, and then did, you know, a, I'd say like a you know, relatively small, uh, round right before launch when I had like a product and a brand, um, we've you know raised subsequently since then, but we we're not talking about it. Got it. And the, so you're getting into, you know, new product in a new market, um, and you go direct to consumer. How, how did you think about marketing? How did you think about finding customers? Where did you have success doing that? And, and what was your, um, what was your theory? Yeah. So I wanted to, again, I think the most powerful thing uh, about beverages and recess in particular is the frequency of use and purchase. And then also the distribution you get, which is a form of marketing for the idea of recess itself. Um, Sorry that my. Yeah, (laughs) no, no worries. Um, So how do I think about marketing? Um, So I think, you know, some of the most powerful aspects uh, about beverages and recess in particular is the frequency of use and purchase as well as the distribution of beverages, which is a form of marketing for the idea. And so the brands I look up to, you know, I'm inspired by are like Glossier and Away and Off-White and, you know, Everlane and brands like that. Well, they have to spend all this money on marketing to, you know, in the case of Away, it sells someone, you know, maybe one suitcase every four years. Glossier, maybe makeup once a month. Like, I think I can sell people multiple recess per day. Um, so that leads itself to, mar- what is the, you know, so it leads itself to, you know, much more of a brand marketing driven strategy as opposed to more of like a direct response uh, driven strategy. And so I recognize is like, how do I create a massive amount of brand awareness really quickly? 
And so we did kind of content marketing, creating you know content that you'd want to kind of engage with deeply and then ideally kind of share with your friends, uh, as well as experiential marketing. Um, so we do a tremendous amount of events. We had a, a pop-up in Lower Manhattan called Recess IRL, uh, which kind of was designed to feel like you were walking into uh, the feeling I want you to feel when you drink a recess and was designed to serve as a community gathering place for the creative community. And then we've gotten a lot of PR. We've gotten just like an insane amount of PR, which was semi by design, because ultimately I, it's all about kind of having that, um, you know, that consumer and mind share. Um, and, uh, and yeah. And then I'd say the, the third thing I'd say is, you know, I'm modeling the company off of Red Bull in, in many ways. Like think about Red Bull. I look at Red Bull as a, a content marketing company and experiential marketing company that monetizes through selling cans. Um, and they focus exclusively on pretty much the action sports community for their content strategy to create the association with having a Red Bull and getting stimulated. You know, we're doing the same thing uh, in many ways, but instead we're focusing on creatives. So music, fashion, art, design, internet culture, that's who we're really speaking to. Um, and uh, I, I'd say that just the difference is like we've built, you know, we started the brand in 2019 uh, when there's, you know, you know, your phone and Instagram. And so, you know, in many ways, I look at Recess as the first digitally native beverage brand. Um, so I think those are a couple of the ways you think about marketing. You also, yeah, you also have a minimal aesthetic like Red Bull and their competitors are like monster, rock star, five hour energy, right? It's like they're all like, blah, and Red Bull just sort of sits on the shelf. It's very recognizable very minimal aesthetic. And I would say there are a lot of comps to you against your competitors. Mm -hmm. Are there, are there competitors in the CBD beverage space? How is that? Uh, how do you think about the competition? So the way I think about competition is that, look, I think your total addressable market for a beverage is a function of what are the consumption occasions uh, for drinking it times? What are the you know points of retail distribution? that makes sense to be sold. Um, recess is unique in that people drink it at every waking hour of the day. There's a group of people that drink, take a recess right when they get up in the morning to start their day calm. And another group of people that take a recess before they go to bed to go to sleep. The core use case is 10 AM to 4 PM, you know, at your office at lunch as a substitute or a compliment to, you know, your afternoon coffee. It works really well, you know, at fitness locations, like before and after a workout, it works really well as a substitute for alcohol or as a mixer with alcohol. And so in each of those kind of use cases, you're really competing against another beverage, right? And so in the morning, that might be, you know, counterintuitively instead of a coffee. Um, at your office, you're drinking a recess instead of a LaCroix. Uh, at, you know, the fast casual restaurant, um, that's, you know, perhaps instead of a Spindrift. You know, as a mixer with alcohol, you know, that's instead of Red Bull. And so I think that's kind of how I think about the competition. Um, you know, there is an emerging CBD beverage category that's going to, that's emerging, um, and there's definitely some, you know, a few other brands that are, you know, feels like a new brand's launching every day. Uh, but there's really only a few that of any significance at this point. Um, and still, it's, it's still so early. Um, so I don't really spend that much time thinking about competition. Uh, I think we are, you know, pretty clearly the, the category defining brand, um, you know, the, the white claw of hard seltzer, so to speak uh, at this point. And, you know, now we want to kind of accelerate that and, uh, really kind of scale our distribution and, and our brand presence. Again, we're only a year old, um, but I think we, we, you know, we're off to a great start. And you started direct to consumer. What was the shift into retail? Like, how did that come about? Did, 
did you start to gain some leverage by those early sales numbers? And then, you know, the retailers started coming to you. Did you have a, a did you start selling outside on your own? Did you um, how, how did you make that transition, especially so early? Yeah, um, it was always the, it was I never intended to be direct to consumer only. It was the vision was always to be on the channel. Um, however, like I described earlier, I wanted to launch direct to consumer first to create the leverage to go offline. Right. Um, so what happened was the retailers and the distributors just started coming to us. Um, and that was, you know, by design. Um, and so we initially, you know, after a couple, you know, a couple weeks were like, you know, this is working. So we first started just literally distributing it out of my apartment uh, to retailers in New York. Um, and then the largest uh, independent beverage distributor in the country, which kind of owns the New York market called Big Geyser, uh, approached us. Um, and we formed uh, a, a very strategic partnership with them. Um, and they carry brands like, you know, they built Vitamin Water, Smart Water, Monster Energy, Spindrift, um, all the way down, you know, Essential Water, all the way down the line. Um, and I think we're the earliest brand they've ever brought on. Um, and um, now we've been kind of lining up the top tier distributors in kind of each market in the country. And, um, you know, I have you know, are in pretty serious negotiate, you know, conversations with all the national retailers. So as soon as they're ready to launch this category, you know, I'm confident we will be the brand uh, that they launch with. Um, and so that's, you know, that's, that's kind of where we're at. Can you explain how the relationship with the distributor works versus the relationship with the retailer? I think a lot of people don't understand that there are a few different layers in the retail business. How, so what does the distributor do for you? So the distributor, uh, most importantly, uh, drops off the pro delivers the product to the retailer uh, each week or each day. Um, in terms of how it's sold, how you open new accounts, it's really like I have, you know, we already have 11 salespeople, uh, like five in New York and six in LA. Um, and so we are out there, you know, up and down the street selling. Um, and this distributors also has relationships, but the distributors more around the delivery and the logistics primarily. It's it, distributors like the plumbing. Correct. You need that pipe to go into that location in order for you to even be able to sell that location, right? Correct. Except when you were selling out of your apartment and you were probably just <laughs> delivering it on your own. Yeah. Yeah. And and do the do the distributors ever help with the sale if they already have a relationship with a big retailer? Is it important that, you know, they are involved in the sale or do you always sell independently of the distributor? Can you say that one more time? Yeah. Do you, when you have, is it important that the distrib distributor assists in the sale at all? So that if the uh, if the distributor has a relationship with a uh, Whole Foods, for example, it does do you hope and expect that they will start to plug recess or do you always run those processes independently? Yeah, no, I think it's a co-sale model. Really, you are partners in a market. They have an exclusive right to distribute recess in a certain market. Um, and so your, your interests are very much aligned. Um, so when they, ha you know, but I would, they're not predominantly salespeople. I'd say predominantly distributors are the delivery and the logistics. However, they have the relationships because they have an entire portfolio of, you know, uh, you know, like-minded brands. Right. Um, and so, so yeah, I, th I think it's really more of a partnership. Where and where do you sell now? Where, where, uh, what states and what uh, retailers? Uh, our first couple of markets are, are New York Metro, so Manhattan, Long Island, the Hamptons. Uh, we just launched New Jersey and we're kind of filling out the tri-state area. 
Uh, we're in Southern California, LA and Orange County. Uh, we just launched Miami. Uh, we're about to launch uh, Chicago, Nashville, Austin, Bay Area, um, kind of early next year. Um, and so we're kind of hitting, going market by market. And you know, our strategy is like when we go into a new market, we want to go deep and really create buzz and culture in that market, not just put the product on the shelf. And what about where can people physically buy it? Is it, uh, I know you've, you're at a number of, you know, salad yeah. bars and, and um, you're all over the place. Yeah. Um, I mean, look, from, we're in a bunch of, you know, regional grocers. So, you know, Erwan in LA and Bristol Farms and Lazy Acres um, on, you know, in the Northeast, um, uh, Fairway Market and King Cullen and, and, and places like that, you know, we're in, you know, hotels like the Waldorf Astoria and Surf Lodge, 7-Elevens and gas stations, bodegas. Like, again, you know, we're really there's all you name fitness locations like you name the channel where we're seeing some great results. Um, and so, you know, after a year in, uh, we've validated a lot and learned a lot about our business. And now we'll kind of uh, double down on, on the channels and the geographies where it's working. And what what advice would you have for someone? I mean, you're for the amount of progress you've made, you haven't been at it that long, which is incredible. Yeah. But if you gave yourself, you know, 14 months ago, you got to talk to yourself, what advice would you have for yourself? I think it's really important to like when you're um, to pick the right idea, like as an entrepreneur, I think the idea is very important. Uh, it ha like my first I spent a year trying to do something that was not frankly, achievable, probably, you know, building a hotel is just way too capital intensive. Um, you know, it's a different thing to raise $2 million versus $30 million. Um, you know, when you have no experience doing something, I think it's also very important that you work on an idea that you're passionate about, uh, that you, you don't even like consider work in some ways where you're kind of creating a product and a business for yourself that happens to be, you know, relevant, uh, for other people because it's so hard um, and there's, so, there's, I almost gave up so many times. Um, and if you're just motivated by kind of entrepreneurship for sport, uh, so to speak, uh, I think you'll, you just, you won't power through. Um, and so I think it's very important uh, to pick the right idea for it to be uh, achievable um, as well as um, something that you're passionate about that plays to your strengths. Um, I think playing to your strengths is also incredibly important. Uh, so what I like to say is like one of my favorite lines, uh, pieces of advice someone gave me is like, pay attention to what you pay attention to. Like, what are the things you naturally think about? Like when you can think when no one's watching and you can just, you know, do whatever you want really. And for me, that was always like, frankly, like design driven businesses and, you know, still startup culture. But, um, and so I always knew that's kind of where I wanted to go. And for solo entrepreneurs, I always think about this. Um, what do you, ha who was your first hire and what was the, what did they fill for you? What it's, it's so difficult. Like, all right, I have, you know, I bu I built, I put down the first brick of this thing. Uh, and now I need to trust other people to understand the vision and to join me. Um, what was that process like? And, and what was the role that they filled? Yeah, great question. Um, so I brought on a C so I said, I didn't know anyone. I, I, I kind of knew one person in CPG. There's this guy named Simon good. Uh, I met him through my dad and, uh, he had been, he's, he's been work. He's worked in the consumer package, good industry his, his whole life. Um, and I started kind of talking to him as kind of like an advisor in the early days, like, you know, every couple months. 
And then when I had a product ready to commercialize, I wanted to bring on a COO, like a partner, uh, to kind of ha- uh, to compliment me and help kind of commercialize the business and get ready to bring it to market. And I ended up bringing him on as uh, a COO. Um, and he, you know, he's a, he's had a number of different roles. He was CEO of a nutrition bar company uh, that he sold to Kashi before recess, actually. Um, and so that was the first hire I made, and it was a very kind of complimentary one because you know I'd say I had a very clear vision. I'd created a pretty great product, and I'd consider myself like a a brand guy and like a founder, I'm good at raising money. I'm good at uh, that stuff. But, you know, it's a very execution oriented business. Like, you know, the supply chain and the logistics and the compliance and quality, all that's in the, you know, the finance um, is serious. And so I wanted to find someone who had done it before, uh, who believed in, you know, the vision that I had and that was complimentary to me. And so uh, I think that's something I've done really well. Um, you know, we, I've hired a really, um, experienced executive team uh, uh, over the past year um, that I think all complement uh, you know, one another and, and, and myself. What month did you sell your first can? Uh, it was, we launched October 23rd, 2019. Oh my God. So you just had your one year anniversary. Yes. The company was based in my apartment until uh, almost February and now we're 30 full-time people. Are, are, are all 30 or the vast majority in New York City? Uh, a little over 20 of the 30 are in New York and then the rest are in LA. That's great. Well, congrats, uh, on all the progress. I know you have a ways to go, but this is really exciting. I have a few, uh, two fun questions that I ask everyone. Yeah. Yeah. What, um, if someone gave you, I'll be really interested to hear hear your answer here. If someone gave you 30 or 60 seconds of a Super Bowl ad, uh, and you got to choose anyone in the world to represent your brand, who would it be and why? Um, so my, I'd say one of my biggest inspirations is, uh, Virgil Abloh who founded off white. He's a designer. Um, and I think he is, um, just like the best marketer on the planet right now. And I think he's an example of, you know, a multidisciplinary designer who does everything from his primary business is fashion, uh, his own brand off white. And he's, uh, the director of Louis Vuitton now, uh, but he's makes furniture, he DJs, makes art, he's always collaborating. Um, and in many ways I'm inspired, like I'm try- like Recess is inspired by the approach he's taken. Um, and I think he's the type of creative that uh, we're looking to align ourselves with, uh, with, with the brand of Recess. Do you know if he drinks it? Uh, I'm, I think he's had it, uh, but uh, I'm not sure. Yeah. That's that's a great one. That's the first one who said Virgil Abloh. Um, but great answer. The and then, what's something on your personal bucket list that you hope to achieve this lifetime? Um, it's a good question. Um, I want to learn to DJ. <laughs> I, I'm like I, I like uh, I've always been kind of a you know Spotify DJ. And I've always loved music. I my, I thought the first job I ever thought I wanted to be was a music video producer. Um, and, uh, I just really enjoy, uh, playing music. Um, and I want to get, uh, better at it. So great. Uh, that's one of my goals for next year. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for doing this, Ben. Um, and good luck on everything. And I really appreciate you coming on the podcast. Yeah, my pleasure. Thanks for, thanks for having me on. Thank you everyone for listening. Please rate and review the podcast. Um, I'm not begging, but I'm not not begging. So 
takes 30 seconds, give me a rating, give me some feedback. I will try to take that feedback and make the podcast better. Thank you very much. Love you all.